How we doing? Good Thanksgiving. All right, y'all ready for those pre-Christmas diets that we now need to go on? Right. Um, hey, before we start this morning, uh, want to let you know about an opportunity. Uh, every Christmas, we get to partner with Low Country Orphan Relief, uh, where we provide. Uh, essential needs for, for children who are taken out of their homes for various different situations and circumstances. And Low Country Orphan Relief provides uh, immediate assistance for these children. And so for the last few years, we've been able to, to partner back by providing for them for Christmas. And um, back on the Christmas tree, you'll find a list of stockings. And we have these forms that are on our welcome table in the back that'll give you different uh, options of what you can do if you want to help provide. There's not specific children, but there are um, ages. So when you pick a, a stocking, you'll be choosing uh, from different ages and whether it's a boy or girl, and you'll provide and bring those things back here. And we need those things back by December the 17th, um, which is going to be a fun day because our kids are having their pancakes and pajamas on that day. Um, somebody said last year how jealous they were that the kids got to come in their pajamas um, feel free to come in your pajamas on the 17th if you want to um, and go serve in the kids' area. Uh, just kidding. You can. We did have a member one time when we had uh, our, our children. We said that we wanted that you could wear your costumes for Halloween, and they misunderstood that, and uh, they showed up wearing their shark costume, uh, an adult, an adult uh, and sat through the whole service, and that was really difficult to try to preach to, but it was amazing, and we love them. So, this morning, is it okay to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas, it's on the way? Okay, some of you are there yet. So it's, it, we're in that, in that place where some people would say, we should have started listening to Christmas, Christmas music on January the 1st of this year, and it was fine to listen to it. And then we had the others that are like, hey, we don't want to rush into this yet, let's get Thanksgiving over. And so we're kind of in that zone where some people are okay with some Christmas things, and then others are like, uh-uh, not until December the 1st. Like, December the 1st, we can talk about it. And some of you are just ready for Christmas to be over already. So it just depends on what spectrum. Um, if you're Walmart, you start Christmas, uh, I don't know, about February, and you start selling stuff during that time. But we're right here in the middle of, um, of this season where there's, there's a lot of hustle and bustle. Am I right? Like, you probably already got your Christmas list going. Your kids have probably started writing out their Christmas list. I know ours have, and, and it's, it's extravagant, so we're going to have to take out some mortgages to make all those things happen. Uh, kids are expensive. Anybody want to amen that? Okay, yes, they are. We love them, but they're expensive. Um, I read recently it takes about $500,000 to raise a child from uh, birth to age of 18. Um, yeah, we, we have four, so I'm doing the math here. But what I want to talk to you in the next couple of weeks, I want our hearts to be prepared for Christmas. And one of those ways, and you heard it this morning, that we have the devotional, a 25-day devotional that you can sign up for. And we're going to text you. Those texts will start on December the 1st, okay? So don't text me later in this afternoon and go, I never got the message. December the 1st, because it's 25 days of Advent to, to really get our hearts as a church focused on what this season is all about. And today, we're starting a series called Rescue Mission, because we all have our Christmas traditions, Right? Some of you, uh, your Christmas tradition is, is decorating the tree as a family. 
some of you, it's that annual tradition of having to go up in the attic and pull these massive boxes through this very small hole and try to keep your religion together as you're doing that, right? And you realize you've got 40 boxes of, of, of decorations for your home that you're going to keep up for one month, like one month. Uh, our, our Christmas traditions, Christmas movies, anybody Christmas movie people? I don't want to ruin it for you, but every Lifetime Christmas movie is going to be the same thing. It's going to be a girl that comes back to her hometown with the boy she had to crush on, and there's, she's going to be estranged from her husband, and then they're going to come together, and at the end of it, it's going to be one big happy thing after three hours. So I want to save you three hours and let you know the hometown girl is going to end up with the hometown boy before it's over with. Every one of them are the same. But you have Christmas movies. I love Home Alone. That was a great one. When I was a kid watching that, I thought, man, if anybody broke into my house, I'm doing a paint bucket. And I'm going to drop it off the staircase and watch what happens. And, and, and I'm going to have a Red Ryder BB gun. You know what I'm talking about? The Christmas story. Um, but nothing tops the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Die Hard. Y'all going to die hard on this one because you're not going to like my answer. But Elf, to me, is the greatest, you know, it's the greatest Christmas movie ever. It's like, hey, world's greatest cup of coffee, congratulations. If we just had the Elf Christmas spirit all year. It would be weird. But if we had that, it would be fantastic. And so we like to get around and watch these Christmas, uh, these Christmas movies. Some of you are weird. You like to go to Black Friday sales. Like that is your thing. You're ready. Like my sister told me this week that they left at 5 a.m. to drive to Myrtle Beach and they didn't get home until nine o'clock. That's a whole nother level of, I don't know what's going on, but going to the mall, some of you, the Christmas food, right? Like there, there's some Christmas food out there that has been blessed by the Holy Spirit. God knew exactly what he was doing when he allowed those foods in. And for all of our Jewish friends, you're missing out if you're just living under the old covenant because there's a new covenant where you get that Christmas ham and you can have that under the new covenant. And then, you know, candlelight Christmas Eve services. I'm excited about ours. We're going to have a nine o'clock and 11 o'clock service. Our kids are going to be in here. And we're going to do Christmas Eve together, and then we're going to go home, and we're going to have an Advent reading together as families, and we're going to celebrate Jesus coming. And so we have all these traditions, and traditions are fantastic. They're great, because we can name off all these traditions that you have. But here's the problem. Traditions can be great until they're not great, because sometimes we can be so married to the tradition that we miss the point of what we're doing. And the danger with Christmas traditions is they can often cause us to miss the point of why we're celebrating this to start with. Because we can get so caught up in everything else that we miss the main point of what Christmas is. We can miss, if we're not careful with our traditions, we can miss the very Spirit of God at work during Christmas season. Christmas isn't ultimately about a baby in a manger. Christmas is ultimately about a rescue mission. It's how this, this baby is born and changes everything. Like humanity, is, is Jesus comes in this flesh. The Bible says this because we're reminded that the king of the universe came off of his throne to rescue us. And look what he says in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now, who was that word? May I ask who the word was? Jesus. In the very beginning in Genesis, you can read about Jesus when he says, uh, he, he talks about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in the very beginnings of creation, because he says, let us create man in our image. He's there in the very beginning. And he said, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. He said he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. 
And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hey, when you feel like these days of the darkness is kind of coming over your life, I got news for you. The darkness will not overcome because Jesus is light. He will always overpower. On, on, there, there's two times in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, Let there be light. But did you know in Matthew, he says the same thing. There was light again. The light of a Savior coming to this lowly place called Bethlehem. This place that was an outcast. A place that has so much rich history in the Bible. But Jesus comes among the lowly. He didn't come on a, a massive throne. and He didn't come with 2001 playing. You know what I mean? That was a Gamecock joke. We're still a little bitter. But um, hey, no bragging rights for anybody this year. But Jesus didn't come in all this pomp and circumstance. He came as a lowly servant. Look what he says. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. He was incarnate. And he dwelt among us. Listen, this is what separates us from, from every other religion. Our God came and lived with us in the flesh and showed us how to live. And he, not only did he come in flesh, he lived among his people. Now, the king of the universe, perfection, lived with us. And you know how we are even on our best day is not even our good day. And Jesus comes to dwell with us. And because of that, John says, we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father who is full of, you ready for these words? He is full of grace and truth. But then he tells us in Matthew chapter 20, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as, what is that word right there? To give his life as a what? As a ransom for many. That word ransom is the payment that you make to purchase somebody's freedom. He, he, he didn't come because he didn't have anything else to do. He came because the Genesis chapter 3 had separated us. The sin of the world had separated us from having this relationship with God. And so Jesus came not to be served. And even though he was a king and he should be served, he didn't, that was not his purpose. His purpose was to serve the people and to give his life as a ransom for many, to, to pay him back. This is why he says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, everybody. This is a rescue mission to redeem us and to bring us back. This Christmas, people are going to be drowning in everything, in, the, in their problems, in, in their issues, in their finances. And Jesus has come to find them right there where they are, meet them where they are, and bring them to salvation. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. We've read this quote before. You remember we did this the series Upside Down Kingdom. This is a quote that stood out to me, but C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, he says, enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how this rightful king has landed. And you might say landed in disguise. I would say he landed in disguise as a little baby. They didn't see that one coming. And he's calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage, to come and take back what is rightfully his, to take back what the enemy has stolen away. This Christmas season, one of the things that we need to be rescued from is human tradition. Our traditions block us. Our traditions keep us from the things that God would have for us. Oftentimes, human traditions start out very pure, but then they slowly will begin to cloud out what the point is. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, he says that, that human tradition is the only thing that can void the word of God. Do you know this? Because he says this, making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down in many such things that you do. 
our, our very traditions, if we're not careful, it's okay to have these traditions. It's okay to decorate the tree with your family. It's okay to watch movies. I think it's even okay to consider Die Hard a Christmas movie. It's probably okay. But if we're not careful, these traditions will overcloud the very reason that we celebrate in the first place. We have to be careful not to allow human tradition to void out the very word of God. And so what I want to point out this morning is our human tradition. And I want to go to the scripture and I want to point out a very clear one. Now we've talked about this passage just a few months ago. Hopefully you remember that. If not, God's giving you a second chance to hear it again. But I want to point out something different in these passages. So for what we're going to do, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 16. But before we get there, I want, to, I want to set it up in Luke chapter 18. Now, a human tradition that the Jewish rabbis had, this was every morning, they were taught this over and over and over again, and they would pray this prayer over and over and over every morning. These are the early morning prayers of the rabbis. This was tradition. The religious men were taught to pray this. I thank you, God, that I am not a woman, I am not a slave, and I am not a Gentile. In that culture, the number one thing on their gratitude list was what? Themselves. If your prayers start with, I, we got to stop. We got to stop. Because we should always begin our prayers with thank you before we can start them with can you. Because sometimes when we say thank you, the can you list tends to go away. Because we realize that God's already provided. So this was their prayer. Religious men. Thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a slave. And thank God I'm not a Gentile. And if they felt like they, didn't, they weren't any of those things, then they felt really well. Now, I don't know how the women felt when they heard that, that prayer. I'm, I'm assuming very insulted. Um, but that was the prayer that they were being taught as rabbis. So Jesus addresses this very human tradition. In Luke chapter 18, he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So who'd they trust in? All right, that's the problem. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. It says that two men went into the temple to pray, one Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Like in the, it would be the equivalent of you coming in here and praying and, say, and, and saying, God, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not this, this, and this, and then looking at your neighbor and going, I'm especially glad that I'm not any worse than they are right here. Like, they're worse than I am. And he's, he's doing a comparison. And he begins to tell God his resume. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off. Now, the tax collector was just as, con- as corrupt as the Pharisee in this culture. And the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's a big difference between those two prayers, aren't it? One is, look at all this that I've done. The other is, God, I'm not even, I, don't, I can't even look up into the heavens because I feel so unworthy of what I've done. And he says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, Christmas is to remind us that we need a Savior. We cannot do this on our own. By left to our own, uh, our own devices, we will disappoint, we will hurt, we will ruin things. 
without Jesus, things will never change. We'll, we'll, never, we'll never elect a government that will change everything. The kingdom is of God, not of the United States. It's a kingdom of God. And we as a church get to usher that in. It doesn't mean that we don't play a part in politics and we don't have a voice in politics. But what it means is that Jesus is king. And that is our first and foremost allegiance is to him. Okay, and so here we are reminded that we need a savior. So in Acts chapter 16, that's where we're going to be. Before we get to 16, I want to tell you about 15, because in Acts chapter 15, the church has to have a meeting, and their meeting is they have to talk about voting, and then the voting is if you have to believe like the Jewish people believe in order to be a part of the church, and more specifically, should we tell the men that they have to be circumcised if they're going to be a part of this church? I don't know who was on that committee. I don't know whose job it was to check that, but I'm going to just go out on a limb and say the church attendance probably was not very high when it came to men, right? Those rabbis probably changed their prayers really quick and be like, Whoa, maybe I'm not so thankful that I'm a guy because I can't be a part of the church. And so they're arguing about these human traditions. And so they're having this whole conversation. They're arguing. And Paul decides, I'm going on these missionary journeys. And that brings us to Acts chapter 16. He goes to Europe with the gospel. And in Acts chapter 16, he's going to very clearly here, now that you understand the prayers of the Jewish rabbis, you're now going to see how God breaks human tradition. You ready? So in Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Semitrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, when we went outside the gate to the riverside, we were supposed, uh, we were supposed there uh, was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to this woman who had, who had come together. And one who, uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira, yeah, Thyatira. Uh, the way that I break these words down are uh, definitely showing my education of Dillon, South Carolina, because I literally wrote the word Thy-a-tira. So Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. This is a big deal. Purple goods is, is a symbol of royalty which means that if she's a seller of purple goods, she has connection with the Roman government. And who, she was a worshiper of God. Now, Lydia, here she is. Why is Lydia holding her own little Bethmore Bible study down by the river? Because there was no synagogue in Philippi. To have, a, had to have a synagogue in a city, you had to have at least 10 men who were righteous men. In all of Philippi, guess what they didn't have? They did not have 10 righteous men. But, but hey, thank God I'm not a woman, and I'm not a slave, and I'm not a Gentile. But you have no synagogue because you don't have any righteous men among you. And he says that we, we are coming here to preach the gospel, and Lydia is not going to be held back because there's no synagogue. She wants to know. She has a hunger to know the word. Now, how many of you know that God's not waiting us to agree on his terms and conditions and click that line before he decides to do what he's going to do? He's going to do what he wants to do in time. You have a chance to be a part of it, but if you choose not to, he's, it's, you're not going to stop a move of God. So Lydia here is a really, really, really big deal in, in Philippi, and she's the first person that we encounter on Paul's trip. She was influential. She was resourceful because we'll find later that because she's a seller of dye, she had a lot of money, she had some power, she had some possessions. 
the early church, one of the, the, the first church in Philippi, are, is going to meet in Lydia's home. She's going to open her home. It's going to be the first house church that's going to meet. And Paul's going to go to that house church, and he's going to teach, and he's going to preach. And so she, she's got this influence. She has these resources. She's got a little bit of popularity, and people know who she is. She's, she's rich. I would look at her as she's, she's a CEO of a very successful company. And so Lydia has power, possession, and position. But yet, notice, she still feels that something's missing. Enough to go down by the waterside with some other women and begin talking about the scriptures to figure some things out because she knows there is something more. Now look what, what happens in, in verse 15. It says, the Lord opened her heart. Now who opened it? I want to make sure that we get that because we do not create salvation. God does. God is the only thing that can save. And it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That is salvation. Salvation only comes from the Lord. I can preach the greatest sermons ever, okay? But you don't get saved because of what I preach. I've preached some bombs. I mean, like there's some Sundays that I've walked out of here and going, well, that, that was a lot better on paper, a lot better. And then I'll have people come to me going, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ this past weekend. You know why? Because it wasn't based off of what I preached. It wasn't based off of a life group. Those things may have been uh, conductors to help get you where you needed to be, but there's a filter that's right here from things that I say oftentimes that the Holy Spirit catches things and then he gets into your heart. This is why some of you can fall asleep in the middle of a sermon and you feel like I got nothing out of it and other people are just crying and they got mascara everywhere and, and that's just the worship team. And then the other people in here, like, you're crying because the Holy Spirit is the one moving in the room to bring about salvation to people, to open the eyes of the people. And he says, and after she was baptized, her household as well. She urged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Her hospitality kicks in. Like, come to my house. Because we've been meeting by the waterside, but if, but if you believe that I made this decision and salvation has come to my home, I want you to come to my home. And, and here it is. Let's, let's use it for what it needs to be used for. And, and, the, and the church begins in her home. Now, the question is, what was Lydia saved from? Lydia was saved from success, from success. God opened up her heart. She puts her faith in Jesus. God used all of this time that she's chasing success to pivot and use her success as significance to make an impact. We are talking about this today because of her faithfulness in that conversation to hear from God. So thankful that that day she was on the water's line. So thankful to that day when she realized that there was no synagogue there. She could have just said, oh, well, I guess it's not meant to be. But instead, she was chasing after God because she knew outside of success, there has to be something more. So the first person that God saves in Philippi is a woman. But the rabbi said, thank God I'm not, what, a woman. But the first person in Philippi, God breaks the tradition. He saves a woman. And not just any woman. He saves Lydia. Verse 16 says, as we were going to the place of prayer, Paul is going to pray. And he says, while they were going, we were met by a slave girl 
who had a spirit of, uh, she, her spirit was one that would divide and it was toxic. And, and he says, and they brought her owners much gain because she was fortunate. She was demon possessed and her, her owners, she was owned. Okay. By the way, you're not owned by anybody. You are a possession of the father. You are his chosen son and daughter. And it says that her owners, it gained so much money from her fortune telling that she followed Paul and she followed us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days that she was going out. And every time that the disciples would walk by, every time that Paul and the guys would walk by, it's like, hey, this is Paul. Hey, this is Paul. Hey, this is Paul. Guess what Paul's doing? And they would keep on and keep on. And this is, I think this is a spiritual gift because it says Paul having become greatly what? Annoyed. Anybody else have that gift? Like when people just smack at the table? It's like, oh, Jesus, please, God, help. Help. Or when people are in a meeting and they're... Preach. I have a bad one. Like I'll just get nervous. My nerves will start ticking. If I was just sitting in that chair like you are right now, my, my leg will start bouncing. And then you'll feel the entire row start bouncing. And then I'll feel my wife's hand on my leg. I'm like, what? Oh, oh, okay. It's just natural. Like... I, I not only have the gift of being annoyed, I also have a greater gift of having a gift of annoying you. Like, so it's, it goes both ways. Paul, Paul's greatly annoyed that every day they try to walk by. It's like, oh, look, here's Paul. Oh, look, here's Paul. Oh, look, here's Paul. Guess what he's going to do? So he's annoyed, and he turned and decided. He gets so annoyed at it that he turns to the Spirit, and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. Sometimes you need to be annoyed enough before God will move in you because you've got to say, enough of this. I'm not going to do it anymore. And Paul can't take it. And he looks at the Spirit and says, you come out of her right now. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And that demon came out of her that very hour, disappeared. The second person saved in Philippi is a slave. The slave girl is saved from spiritual darkness. She has owners. She's, she's possessed. By the way, demon possession still exists today. There, there are people in this community that, that are overcome with demon possession. Um, we, don't, we don't like to call it that. We like to call it other things because we like to civilize witchcraft. But there's demon possession that's happening with addictions. There's demon possession that's happening. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't be taken possession by a demon because you are the possession of the Father. So we need to go and call the demons out. That's weird. You'll get annoyed at some point that you'll just call the Spirit out. Well, I don't have that kind of power that Paul has. Can I just ask you a question? Did Paul get a different Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation that you did? The difference is he had a closer relationship with the Holy Spirit because he worked on it and sought it and wanted to know more about the Spirit. Y'all, if we would get and learn the Spirit for who he is and what he can do and realize that we can't control the Holy Spirit, I believe with all my heart we will see demons cast out of this place. I believe it. I believe we would see more miracles than we do. Instead of just tossing up prayers, God, would you just please help? No, in the back of our mind, it probably won't, but I'm just going to say it anyway. But God is still in the miracle working business. He's in the restoration business. He will restore marriages. He will take out diagnoses. He will make doctors scratch their heads, can't figure things out. This is the God that we serve. He makes the prodigals come home. But we got to believe in that God. But we get stuck in our traditions. And we get held down. 
Because we don't believe that it can happen to us. We don't believe that it can happen for others. And we definitely don't think it can happen through us. If you'll approach God with the whatever it takes attitude and stop with the hands like this and do the hands like this, you'll be amazed at what can come through you. And every time it does, you'll turn to God and say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you'll get spirit eyes. This slave girl had no idea until somebody called it out of her. If, it was, if Paul had not taken that moment, how much longer would she have been under possession? How much longer would she have been trafficked by these people that had her? But she has been saved. And the spiritual darkness has been exposed. And she's saved from that. This is what Christmas is all about. That Jesus came to give up his life so that we could have life. Not to be caught in the bondage of, of, of the enemy, but to be free in his spirit. Look what he says in verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope was gone, they don't care about her condition. They only care about the fact that financially, Paul just bankrupt us. Because now she not has these fortune-telling powers anymore because he cast that demon out, and now we're going to suffer on the other side. So when they saw that their hope, now what was their hope in, by the way? I want you to get that. Their hope was in the money. Their hope was in the demon-possessed girl. The hope was in her downfall that they were going to use that. They didn't care for her to get better. They weren't going to try to use that money to go get her in front of somebody to see if they can get a cure for it. They were just using that for their own gain. And they get so mad, they put all their hope. Let me tell you, you put your hope in everything but Jesus, you will find failure at some point. And so he says that when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they did what the logical thing was. They arrested Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Now, this is interesting because the Romans accepted a lot of things that were not, I don't know, exactly kosher and were not very good things like, uh, I don't know, uh, let's crucify people, let's beat people, let's oppress them and charge them for way more than they're supposed to be charged for. And they're saying that the customs and the teachings of Paul of love your enemy that, that doesn't fit our culture. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering a jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in stocks. Now you might be asking, why in the world is this even happening? What's causing this? Paul and Silas are doing what God has called them to do, and this is where they end up. See, every time that God calls you to something doesn't mean it's going to be these rainbows and butterflies on the other end. We have been called to suffer for the sake of Christ. He says that. He tells the Philippians that, actually, that we share in the sufferings of Jesus. So what do you do when you find yourself in one of these situations? I'm just doing what God called me to do, but it seems like it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. Just because you see it getting worse, you don't see the bigger picture of what God's trying to do. This is why he says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Our, our eyes will play tricks on us. Don't you agree? This is why we like night lights. Because when the, when the lights go out and it's dark, we start seeing and hearing things. Right? And we swear there's a demon in the bush. Something going on. But what do you do when you find yourself in one of these situations? Let me tell you what you do. You worship your way through it. He says this in, in verse 25, about midnight, 
I mean, at midnight, I, I don't know what you guys are doing at midnight. I'll tell you what, I'm doing it at midnight. I'm sleeping. Um, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They weren't sitting in this prison cell complaining. I can't believe they did this. Oh, when I get out of here, you just wait to see what I do. I'm going to start a whole riot in the city. I'm going I'm to cause problems. I'm going to share some things. I'm going to tell everybody what I know. No, that's not what they're doing. They are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners are listening. You can whine or you can worship. Those are your choices and your circumstances. I've never heard a testimony of somebody going, you know how I got through that? Man, I whined. I just complained about everything, and God just, he just healed me from that. Never heard that testimony. But what I have heard is, I just had to trust that God was who he said he was. I had to trust that God could do the things that he said he can do. Because listen, when you're going through those, those situations, you have friends that do not know Jesus, and guess what they're doing? They're watching how you're doing this. And they have some unsettled things in their life, and they're watching how you, you move through this. In this passage, what we see is that they chose not to whine, but instead worship. And by doing so, the prisoners... We're listening to them. And then look at verse 26. It says this. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds became unfastened. Like, I would like to think that Paul and Silas were like, oh my goodness, what just happened? But at this stage in Paul's life, I don't think he was surprised at all. He didn't go, oh man, what a coincidence, the earth is shaking. Oh, what a coincidence, the door of the prison fell off. Oh, what a coincidence, I don't need a key, my hands are free, I can walk freely. Now, may I ask you this question? Because a, a part of what you worship is declaring your, uh, that your circumstance do not sit on the throne of your life. When you're going through these circumstances and they're, they're rattling you and you're anxious and you can't, and I'm preaching to myself, and you get over these things, you have to ask yourself, is, is, are my circumstances sitting on the throne of my life or is Jesus? Because if it's your circumstances, it's time to dethrone it and put Jesus where he needs to be. But I want you to follow something with me. Let's just put our minds here that we're all in prison. And, and we've been falsely charged and accused and, and we're in prison and we choose we choose the worship route and, and we're worshiping and we're singing on key some off key some in tempo some don't know how to clap on the two and the four it's fine and and we're, we're just worshiping and we're praying and we're seeking God and we're, we're going through all these scriptures in our heads that we remember and our earthquake hits and the chains fall off of our hands and the doors of the prison just completely fall off what are you doing in that moment here, let me help you out. You're running, right? <laughs> like, look at this opportunity. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And you take off. And like, you're the fastest person in all of Philippi this day. Nobody can catch you. But I want you to watch something. When the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. See, because the thing in this culture was, in the Roman culture as a guard, if one of your prisoners escaped, it was a death penalty for you as the guard. So rather than Roman dying at the hands of the Romans, he's going to die at his own hands. Because I, not, not just one prisoner, this whole prison, this whole prison, gone. Like they, they are, we just created a brand new track and field team 
for Philippi. So I need to take myself out. So he grabs his sword and he, be, he begins to kill himself. And in verse 20 it says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all still here. I don't know why. I would have left. I would have run. But Paul knew that his ministry was not about running from, but it was running to the lost. It was running to the ones that needed to be rescued because he had been rescued. And Paul and Silas are sitting there. And here's, here's another note that I want you to take. Mental illness is a real deal. It's a really big issue, especially in our society today, of people wanting to take their lives and wanting to cause harm. I'll tell you in the words of Paul, do not harm yourself, for we are here. Your church body is here to pray with you, to lay hands on you, to help you, to give you guidance, to place you in places and a community that are going to help you through that. We are here. We will not abandon you. And here in this prison cell, Paul, for whatever reason, I believe it's because he, he knew my ministry is not outside of this place, but he's called me here. Even though the conditions are bad and I'm bound and, and I'm tied up, God's called me here. And he says this, and the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Now, by lights, we're not talking about light switches on the wall. They brought the torches in. And he said, he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, isn't this quite a change that the jailer falls down in front of the prisoners? And so here he is, and he's got trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because you know who else was hearing the, the songs and the hymns and the prayers? The jailer. He's hearing this. And knowing those guys could have left, he knew that there was something the way that they handled that circumstance. And he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The, the better question here isn't what must I do to be saved, but what must be done for my salvation? That's the better question. Because what can we do for our salvation? Nothing. So what must be done to have salvation? And this is the message of Jesus at Christmas. He didn't just die for us. He died instead of us so that we could have relationship with him. Look at verse 31. And they said, he didn't tell him, like, if you want to be saved, I need you to go through this class. I need you to have these 10 tenants. I need you to give X amount of dollars. I need you to serve in all these capacities within the church. None of those things were, were said. Paul says, if you want to be saved, you believe in the Lord. This is pastuo. This is a faith that, that, that goes, it's all in. Like, I push all the cards to the center, all my chips to the center. My hands are wide open. I believe in whatever you want me to do. It is a faith that says, God, I trust you with every single area of my life. He says, if you want to be saved, this is what needs to be done. You just need to believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's who he says he is, and you will be saved, period. That's good news. Because you don't have all these other attachments to it. Well, you need to do this, and you got to go through this baptism class, and we want you to be educated and know those things, and we'll talk to you about those things. But it's not a requirement of salvation. The only requirement of salvation is to believe that he's who he said he is. 
and you'll be saved. And not only you, look what Paul says. He goes and takes it a step further. Your household will too. Not because when you ask Jesus to save you that your family automatically gets it. Because when you do it, they're going to see the change in you and they're going to follow through with that too. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. That's important in those situations. The only way to get the word of the Lord is to spend time with the Lord so you have his word. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Now, remind me, who is this guy? And he's washing wounds. Looks a lot like Jesus. The guy that he just heard about. The guy that he literally just met. And he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. He and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. The third person saved in Philippi was a blue-collar Gentile worker. The jailer was saved from himself. Saved from himself. Think about it. You got these Jewish men and a Gentile. They weren't allowed to even walk into their home as a Jew because of the dirty filth of the Gentile. But Paul, they are sitting at his table. And to sit and to dine with one is to accept them. Here's, here's our point. It's no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or where you've been, salvation is offered to anyone who would trust Jesus. The tradition of the rabbis, thank God, I am not a woman, I am not a slave, and I am not a Gentile. And the first three people that we see in the book of, of Philippi and the Philippians is that God is breaking that tradition. And the first three people are a, a woman and a slave and a Gentile. Isn't it funny how God works to break traditions? The good news of the gospel is that you can be saved. The good news of the gospel is that when we recognize that God is who God says he is and that we need salvation, that we have got our circumstances on the throne of our lives and not Jesus on the thrones of our lives, it means that we need to surrender because we need him to do for us what we cannot do. And it's because of that that why the Bible says that we can come before the throne without worrying about any type of judgment coming our way, without God denying us and saying, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have anything to do. God has a seat at the table just for you. There's a placemat with your name on it. And when we sit at that table, he takes us in. And you don't have to have it all together. You give your life to Christ. It doesn't mean tomorrow that you go out and you become Mother Teresa overnight. What it means is today your salvation has been secured. We'll let tomorrow worry about tomorrow, but we're going to let Jesus do what Jesus needs to do today. And then tomorrow he'll do that again. And then the next day he'll do that again. And then the next day, and it's called a process of being sanctified or sanctification that every day we go closer to Jesus. But for some of us, we have gotten so stuck on our traditions that we've never made that prayer. 
We've never, we've never just fully surrendered our lives to Jesus and said, God, I believe. Like, we may have said it with our mouths, but we definitely have not professed it with our lives. You know what we always say? Talk is always cheap. And so today, I'll ask you this question. Have you ever been saved? Some of you, even those that are watching, some of you are like, yeah, I don't think you know what I've done. I don't think you know the situation that I'm in. I don't, I don't think that you quite get it. God wouldn't want to have anything to have, any, any, any doings with me. Well, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive. And there was no asterisk by that that's saying except for these things. If he created you and he's aware of what you've been going through these last weeks, he's just waiting on you to accept his invitation. You weren't here today by accident. But today is the day of salvation for you. For others, you've had a relationship with Jesus for a long time, but you feel like the, the embers are just cold. It's time to step into that and break that tradition of just going through the motions of just attending. I'm not, I don't mean that by you just attend and you don't, you don't serve anywhere. Like, what are, you, what are you doing to serve Jesus outside of here? It's really easy to serve here. But what do you do to serve outside of here? Today, I want to I have a time where, where you, you could receive the rescue. When we talk about rescue, and I always think about this with salvation, I think it was the greatest illustration ever made is I always heard growing up that God throws you a life raft. But the Bible says that we're dead in our trans, uh, trans, trespasses. And he did not throw a rescue float out to us. We were lifeless in the bottom of the ocean. And he jumped in and he scooped us up and brought us to the shore and he breathed new life into us. That is salvation. So this morning... If you've never made that prayer, you never prayed that prayer and asked Jesus, God, I believe in you. Today is today. For those who have, I want you to spend some time as we sing in a moment of confession, asking the Holy Spirit, what traditions have I held on to that have kept me from being closer to you? And surrender those. Hey, y'all, and I'll tell you this, if you'll just ask the Holy Spirit, he will show you. You might not like his answer. But if you'll surrender to it, you sure will love the outcome. I promise. So if you'll bow your head with me this morning, pray with me. If you've never, you never had that moment where you've asked Jesus to save you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, I believe. I believe that you died on a cross. I believe that you raised from the dead on the third day. And I believe that you did it to take my sin away. I am a sinner. And I need you. And God, I believe. I believe. Thank you for saving me. If that's you this morning, I want to ask you to do something very bold. I'm going to come stand over here. I want you to come talk to me. Because it's more than just a prayer. Now we want to help get you set up on the path to grow in your faith this morning.
Don't worry about whatever other people are thinking. I promise you, when you move because of salvation in this place, there are people all across this room that want to celebrate with you what God's doing in your life. And Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we would hear from your spirit. God, what traditions are we holding on to that are keeping us from having that relationship with you? Human traditions that we've created. God, as you said in your word, that human tradition is the thing that will void your word. And I, I do not want your word to be voided in our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak so loudly right now that we would fall under conviction and begin to confess and repent. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for rescuing us. And I pray these things in your powerful, powerful name. Amen and amen.